Welcome back, my lords and ladies, to the Cast Beyond the Wall. We are your guide to all things Westerosi, and we're here to bring you a review, analysis, and fan v. fan debate of each episode of HBO's hit show, Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and if you're listening to this, that means you have contributed to Ball Moves Game of Thrones Pod Pack Charity. In this charity, the funds raised will go towards the American Civil Liberties Union, also known as the ACLU. So we wanted to start things off by saying... Thank you so much for contributing to this excellent fundraiser. We are very excited to be a part of it, along with Bald Move. Uh, it's really, really exciting to to be raising money for a good cause by talking about Game of Thrones. Uh, and I know all of us here at the Cast Beyond the Wall are very excited to be a part of this particular fundraiser. So thank you. But enough of my hearing me talk. I'm going to introduce you to our other two co-hosts. All the way from what I like to call the Dornish heated lands of Arizona... Uh, sir, can you introduce yourself? My name is Austin. I'm uh, your resident Greyjoy fanatic. He loves them pirates uh, quite a bit. Uh, and then if we travel across the, the map, you know, we're, we're playing the Game of Thrones theme song of the United States. We're going to go over to the Starkish lands of Kentucky. Uh, sir, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Daniel Stoll. And as Kayla pointed out, I'm from the Starkish lands of Kentucky. And that's where my allegiance would lie. So I'd be your resident Stark expert. Oh, fantastic. And uh, the three of us in this in this uh, special fundraising ACLU edition of the Cast Beyond the Wall, we're going to be talking about our top five most impactful deaths on Game of Thrones. I will take a quick second to let you guys know a little bit more about the cast beyond the wall. Uh, We are a Game of Thrones podcast that has been podcasting all the way since season four. We recently cracked 40 episodes of the show. Uh, So this is something that we come back every single year and we talk about every episode. It's a great time. Uh, And what we're really all about is we want it to be fun. We want it to be like we're all sitting together, hanging out, just chatting about Game of Thrones. But we also want it to be a little more analysis driven. We want to get like into the weeds. Um, We we do have we do talk a little bit about theory, but it's more or less about breaking down each scene and what are what's the subtext in each scene. What is going on between our characters in those moments? And what kind of an impact do we foresee the events of Game of Thrones happening? Now, if you do enjoy that, what you hear on this episode, I highly encourage you to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash cast beyond the wall. Head on over. Give us a like. Keep us up. We do post a lot of Game of Thrones content on there for you. If you're a fan in between seasons, I'll be keeping that page updated from time to time. And of course, we have new episodes that come out every single Wednesday when the season of Game of Thrones is on. So absolutely make sure to find us there. Or if you are big on the Twitter, you can find us on Twitter at cast underscore beyond underscore G-O-T. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think about the episode. Let us know what you think about the special fundraising edition. Do you like our what we consider to be our most impactful deaths? We want to hear with you because more than anything else, more than any of the analysis and the scene-by-scene breakdown, the reason we do this podcast is because we want to have a conversation about it because we believe that Game of Thrones is so much more than just, as I like to say, more than 90 minutes and a bottle of Dornish wine. So uh, please make sure to hit us up and follow us on Twitter at cast underscore beyond underscore got or like us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash cast on the wall and lastly you can find us on itunes if you're big if you're big podcast believer you can subscribe to us there without further ado let's go ahead and move into our top five most impactful deaths uh and i will actually kick us off so as i said one last time the characters must have appeared on the show so that actually takes the likes of Rhaegar targaryen for instance out of the picture he has not appeared on the show he has been talked about on the show but we've never seen we have yet to see him we have yet to see his death uh therefore we're leaving characters like Rhaegar out however Lyanna Stark a character who has appeared in a flashback vision uh the Mad King 
uh, certain characters who have appeared in flashbacks, and we'll even go as far as to say John Aaron, who was dead at the beginning of the show, but his body, they, they had his funeral in the first episode, so those characters are still on the table. Uh, so I'll go ahead and kick things off with my first pick. None other than the man with the, uh, the giant hammer, the man who went to war for the love of his life, Lyanna Stark. He marched across the Trident. He rebelled. He did not bend the knee to the Mad King. Robert Baratheon, the one and only king who did not want to be king at all. Uh, I, Robert is, in my opinion, his death is, is pivotal. If he doesn't die, then Ned doesn't have to, to confront Cersei and then get executed in the War of the Five Kings never happens. And that's the interesting thing. Everyone seemed to want to be united under Robert for whatever reason. And as soon as he dies, the whole kingdom falls apart. Austin, you have any thoughts on, on uh, Lord Robert Baratheon? Yeah, and I think... Uh... Obviously, Robert is an important, pivotal character, and him uh, dying definitely triggered a series of events where we have the, the, the entire war really kicking off. But along those same lines, I think the real kind of driving force behind Robert and and the kingdom kind of slowly crumbling really started with John Aaron. I think John Aaron was really kind of the brains behind the operation. Robert wasn't really fit for king, and John kind of ran everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, Robert had... People liked Robert, though. He had a lot of charisma to him. People were content being underneath him. Like, like people... That he did. Like, the common people liked him. And he was a... He was a soldier who went to war. It was a cool story, right? It's like, how many times do we get military leaders who fought and bled for the, the country to take take over the mantle? And he's also mm-hmm. charismatic and, and is fun and people love him. Uh, so he had all those traits. But you're right. He he obviously the way I mean, they, they still up until this season reference how ridiculously irresponsible he was with the funds and the, with the crown. He bankrupted the Iron Crown, which when, when he took it over, there was nothing but gold upon gold upon gold in Aaron, Mad King Aerys's chambers. So uh, he definitely was not a responsible king. Uh, and, you know, he's the guy who said he, he was the, there to, to fuck his uh, drink and fuck his way to an early grave. And I think that's it. I think what he really wanted. And who can't relate to that, right? And I, here on the podcast, <laughs> here on the podcast, we certainly relate to that. But his love, he really wanted Lyanna Stark. That's why he went to war, right? He he went to war because he loved her, and he was convinced that she loved him, and they were going to marry each other and run away and live happily ever after, yada yada. He didn't really want the Seven Kingdoms. That just kind of came as a side effect because he was the guy who stood up against the Mad King and united the armies, which included Ned Stark and eventually the Lannisters as well. So, I think he's a very critical character but you're right john aaron's death sparked uh sparked the need for him to get a new hand eddard stark who everyone who was in the king's council knew eddard stark would be easy to be played and thus sabotage yeah so so john aaron was actually one of my picks uh and it's you'll i think you'll see a, a theme here as we go through these where we have characters that played different roles in around the same event. And I think John Aaron and, and Robert Baratheon is a, is a good example of that. So John Aaron, if you remember, he was the hand of the king before the show starts. He dies um, by poison being poured into his ear. Um, and and really, uh, the show uh, kind of goes through and heavily hints at uh, the fact that John was murdered because he was looking into the incestuous relationship between Cersei and Jaime. Um, and, and as you stated, Caleb, it, it, it kind of kicks off a series of events where Ned ha- um, is asked to be the new king. He goes down to King's Landing um, and Ned kind of goes through uh, uh, 
continues John's investigation that, that he had started. Well, except for Ned does it way less elegantly and doesn't make any – he makes it very obvious that's what he's doing and is uh, not afraid to call people out on their shit, which – is stupid and and that kind of a political mm-hmm. landscape. It was not playing the politics very well, and of course we know that eventually that leads to uh, his beheading, and eventually, of course, you have the War of the Five Kings. Um, I think I think something else that's, that's worth noting about John Aaron uh, Austin is that he was, in fact, the um, kind of a father figure to both Ned uh, and Robert during Robert's rebellion. He was kind of kind of the man behind the curtain uh instructing them and mentoring them on, on and giving them strategy so he was a critical character in that war and robert's rebellion years ago and then of course so when robert took the city who else is he going to have as his right hand man but the guy who advised him all the way through that rebellion uh, I think you guys definitely bring up some good points. Uh, both Robert and John Aaron are both very you know important characters and their deaths definitely impacted the world uh however uh I mean, you could even technically say with John Aaron, his death starts the show, like, is the reason the whole show exists. If John Aaron doesn't die, a lot of what happens doesn't take place. However, I, I, I didn't mention either of these characters on my list. Uh, that being with Tywin in the position that he's in, he and, and the Lannisters in general are, are a very scheming bunch. And I feel like they would have found a way, if, if he doesn't die by Boar, Robert, uh, um, to. M- cause some chaos and, and mix things up anyway so it wasn't if it wasn't his death they would have found another way to cause some sort of something to happen so for that reason i didn't really put them on my list but uh you guys bring up some good points though they were very impactful uh, I, I don't, deaths i don't on, know because i think those those are the people that kind of kept the lannister the lion out of out of the elk's nest right or, or whatever you want to call it you know because uh I mean, the Lannisters from the get-go had a stronghold on Robert's helm because I mean, he was married to Cersei, obviously, and Jaime was the head of his king's. Uh, well, not head of his kingdom. He was a member of the king's guard. Um, so I, there was a, definitely a, a pretty big Lannister influence, and I don't. I honestly don't think Tywin was all about killing Robert. I really think that was a, that was strictly a Cersei move because she hated him so much. Um, Although, that you, you mentioned that, that does uh, cause me to recall, like, uh, one of my favorite scenes from season one is when you have, which was totally original, by the way, got to give Benioff and Weiss some credit, they were amazed, they do okay from time to time, write some really amazing original scenes, is uh, a really great conversation between Cersei and Robert, kind of about the failure of their marriage. So, Stoll, I pick Robert Baratheon, Austin is saying John Aaron, who would be your first pick? Uh, well, I'm going to go across the the seas, and I'm going to go over to Danny's neck of the woods, and I'm actually going to say uh, Cal Drogo um, uh, is going to be one of the first ones on my list for the most impactful deaths. Uh, his death basically puts her in the position to where she gets her dragons and sparks her whole storyline of going to Westeros uh, to gain the throne and i think his death kind of pushes her in that direction she decides that you know she's going to lead the dothraki as the as their khaleesi and for those that choose not to follow her that uh she does give them that option but um it's really that i for me that sparks her um fiery passion if you uh if you will to uh, pursue that and go along that path without if he's there I think she's a little more restrained and less likely to make some of the decisions she makes and kind of follow along with him that really puts her in the position to be the leader um, in that scenario so uh, for me Cal Drogo is very impactful on her storyline in particular 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know though. I, I Kel Drogo, I, I feel like his you do you do raise a good point because he does die, and I, I will say that does inspire her to some degree to kind of come into her own. So I think that's really really pivotal. But the thing about his death is, I feel like it kind of slowed things down because she was going to cross the narrow sea with him at that point, and then we had to wait six more seasons for her to cross it anyway. So I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's not Cal Drogo is not important, but I am just a little surprised. That you would rank him so high. Austin, do you have any thoughts on that? Call Droga is a good pick, and I actually considered it myself because I was trying to find the the event that made Danny become who she is. And I kind of went through that whole event there, and, and I actually settled on a character that also played a role in Call Droga's death. Um, and that was Miri Mazdur, who was actually the 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 doctor who suggested that they use blood magic in order to heal Call Drogo. Who might have been the person who actually made uh, Drogo sick to begin with because she was the one treating him so there's some speculation there that, that she treated his wounds because let's not sell it short yeah. Cal Drogo was an epic badass but he's also re- really stupid the dude hit like the dude is holding a knife up to his chest and he just like walks into it and he's like I ain't got time to bleed oh wait you got in- and like any other action movie it'd be totally cool right oh our heroes cut and it was, but it was badass so he's gonna be good not on this show. He gets an <laughs> yeah. infection, and the witch makes it worse, which eventually leads to his death. Isn't that crazy, though? Um, early, and early, I, and I can think that's that's something we've kind of come to expect from Game of Thrones. But really, early in the earlier episodes of the show, that was a big deal because we had that was kind of a subversion of the trope of like the action hero or this big hyper masculine character. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. if we're talking about Cal Drogo, just had to throw that out there uh, as related. Yeah. To his- well, and it's, and it's like uh, Stahl said, is it it really kind of kicks off Danny being like an independent person, being able to own everything herself but the part that i took away from this this series of events was um this doctor uh, miri was really the first person i believe that danny had executed and we start to she burns uh burns her on drogo's funeral pyre and we see like a trend basically like every season every couple seasons where she's just lighting people on fire she burns um uh one of the people in karth who betray her and tries to steal her dragons she burns the owner of the unsullied um she burns all the calls um within the uh, the yurt that they were in in season five i believe and, and then she, we see in in our most recent season, she's burning uh, the members of House Tarly. Um, so I, I I picked her because it kind of kicked off her kind of obsession with executing people by burning. And, and it's weird because you're right; it kind of empowers her in that moment. So she just continues to do it more. Mm-hmm. Like she just keeps doing it. Like it's it's chill. Uh, you know, I'm glad you you brought that up. And that which is again, I think all of those the, the, those two deaths do really kick off who it is Danny is going to become. I think it lights that fire on the inside. So I agree with you both on that point. I actually did have a pick from that same scenario, and it was actually going to be Rago, uh, the her son that was going to mount the horse that rides the world or whatever. You know, like it's. Uh, I see the loss. Uh, so she loses Cal Drogo and her son in one fell swoop because of the witch. And the reason I see this one as the most impactful is because she is now barren and cannot have children or an heir. So this is where she also kind of fills that void with her dragon children. Uh, This is where she decides the children, the dragon, are my children. And it's also maybe you could argue that that's what awakened the dragons in the first place. We really don't know. It's it's unclear because magic. But I think... The loss of a son. I mean, I I am obviously a cis white male, so I can never ever speak to a uh, uh, you know 
the wife of someone who's a miscarriage. But my understanding is that it is a pretty profoundly impactful thing when that does occur and it's very sad so i can only imagine a character like daenerys losing mm-hmm. this baby a baby that you know like anyone it, it, she's promised by her husband cal drogo and she has these big big huge dreams and when that's gone she has to find another way to compensate thus lighting people on fire i had forgotten that it, it made her barren as well that's a really good point that is a very good point so it's like even if she becomes queen of westeros like what her her bloodline's done uh, so I think that's and that's really important uh, when you're looking at the lineage of, of these uh, Westerosi houses. All right, Daniel. So I got Rago. Austin has Mir, the witch. What is your number two pick for most impactful deaths in Game well, of Thrones? Well, as I was kind of thinking about this, it was really hard for me to pick. And so the way I kind of tried to decide my picks were which character's deaths directly impact another character's path and basically kind of change the trajectory of where they're going. And obviously Drogo was impacting Danny, so I started thinking about John. And one death that I, I kind of arrived on was Gior Mormont. Um, if you guys remember, because uh, I didn't uh, when I was thinking of it, um, he was stabbed uh, in Craster's Keep when some of the group of the men at the Night's Watch basically um, were mad, upset with Craster and the way that he was handling this whole situation up there, and they decided that they were going to kill Jor and Craster. So he was stabbed in the back by his own own men. But I found this really important because this basically sets up John to become Lord Commander of the North. Uh, sorry, of the Wall and the whole thing where he wants to go north and, and join the wildlings with the uh, with the men of the night's watch and then go up to hard home and and you fight this um battle against this army of the undead that are coming their way all starts with uh jor mormon's death if he doesn't die none of that is, is possible and maybe we don't even hard home never happens and we don't know the the significance of really what the white walkers are doing um so i found his death to be directly impacting John's storyline and that's why I kind of picked him on my list. Yeah, I totally agree there. I, it really kind of trains him to be a leader going forward uh, for both the Night's Watch and eventually as King of the North. Um, he learns pretty much everything he knows how to do f- after Gior Mormont dies. And Gior was a was a really important mentor to him as well. So um, it, it, it was it was difficult to for him i'm sure to to lose that mentor but it also forced him to experience things that he'd never would have experienced otherwise and also it impacts sam's storyline as well only, if so, only he had died right i mean sam gets to you know kill a white walker run away and he ends up killing a white walker i mean he wouldn't be nearly as awesome as he is if it wasn't for for that death so Sam Sam is Sam defies logic. He should be on my list of of most impactful deaths just for myself, but for some reason the man is still alive. He would he'd be impactful? I thought you would have laughed at him, surely. Uh, he'd be impactful to my life. I would be so much happier. What would you do with that whole shelf full of Samuel Tarley stuff you've got uh, hanging above your computer right now? I would I would burn it on Sam's funeral pyre. <laughs> wow. What is death and never die? Uh, and and now his watch is ended. I don't know. Whatever catchphrase you want to throw out there. Um, so I think Jor is a good pick, Daniel. I hadn't considered him. He was very a very important mentor to John. I would question his the impact uh, he has on the plot and the and the world once he dies. But I will say, I will say, I will contend that once he dies, the Night's Watch becomes. Notably more unstable. Obviously, you have the the people up at Crasher's Keep who like uh, they they hide, they they capture the place and start raping all the women and all that stuff, and 
drinking blood out of skulls because they're crazy people. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. And then at the wall you have that also lets uh, Alistair Thorne kind of off his chain of hating John and all that stuff. So uh, I think, yeah, it definitely upsets the balance. And, you know, I guess that's a good question is what would the Night's Watch look like in season seven if G.R. Mormont was still alive, I guess? Mm-hmm. Would he have... Le- and what would John look like? Oh, yeah. Well, would there be wildlings that crossed the wall? Like, would that have happened? I mean, I don't know. Probably not. Right. Probably not. Probably have no one manning East Watch. That's, oh, that's probably that's, for, that's sure. for sure. They wouldn't have the uh, they wouldn't have the suicide crows hanging out there. You mean? Right. So Daniel, I think I think Jor is an interesting pick. I don't know if I would have thrown him in the ringer initially, but I do think that raises a good question. Had he been there, the Night's Watch definitely would not have made those same same decisions. Austin, how what is how about you? What is your, going to be your uh, number three pick? Um, let's see here. I think I'm going to go with, uh, Pulliver. And if, uh, the audience doesn't remember, Pulliver is kind of a cruel man who captures Arya. And, uh, during that capture, he actually kills an injured boy named Lomi. He, uh, takes Arya's sword, Needle, and, uh, Lomi has an arrow in his knee and he's, you know, asking for help. And, uh, he stabs Lomi through the throat and, uh, basically causing him to choke to death on his own blood. A really, really cruel death. Um, also, is like generally cruel. He, there's like an old woman that he like uh, just beats for stealing bread. Um, but eventually he delivers Arya to Tywin. Um, uh, and kind of, we already know Arya's uh, arc kind of after that point. At some point, her and the Hound meet up with Pulliver again. He does not recognize Arya, and we get this glorious scene where the Hound eats every chicken in the whole fucking room. And uh, how about two chickens? Yeah, two chickens. I'm gonna eat every chicken in this whole room. You're making me really thirsty. Are you about to die? Are you about to die for a chicken? Someone is. <laughs> that scene. I can well, quote, so, I've watched that scene so many times, Austin. I can quote it. I can quote that scene. It's so it's, cool. It's so great. It's the best scene of the show, truthfully. It's top. Five. Um, and in the scuffle, Arya kills Pulliver as revenge. And really, I, I pick this as my as my um, one of my most important deaths because it, it defines Car- Arya's entire character arc from there on out. Focus on revenge and killing, and even to the point where we are now um, in season six. Or sorry, excuse me, even to the point where we are now in season seven. Um where she's still writing that same story arc of revenge. Austin, I think that's a great point. Again, Pulver, not a character you consider, but I, I, one very important detail. You're right. This is where she literally she goes for revenge, and this is the path she's been on ever since. This scene, and I remember it got a lot of cheer, cheer-worthy moment. There was, a lot of people were cheering for this scene when it happened because, oh, yes, Arya's getting her revenge. She's getting her comeuppance. But I want people to go back and watch that scene again. She, she's reciting the same lines that Pulver gave right before she killed Lamy, he, before he killed Lamy to Pulver. And it's like in a very creepy Dexter Morgan-type serial killer way that I just was, – was, for me, it was very uncomfortable. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. say it right now. I haven't been yeah. – too big a fan of Arya's storyline since this point because I feel like she has continually gone down the path of vengeance and Mm -hmm. I don't think and while that's kind of interesting I don't think they've done enough with it yet for it to pay off for me personally but I do think you're right for Arya who is a fan favorite that is a critical moment uh, in in the show Um, I really like how you're you're making picks that are based on individual moments that define our characters versus like world changing deaths I think that's a, a great point 
Mm-hmm. Um, so on that subject, I, I actually want to talk a little bit about, of course, Ned Stark. Now, Ned Stark, of course, uh, Lord Eddard Stark, his death was so impactful on a lot of levels. He's impactful within the context of the universe because as soon as he dies, it starts the War of the Five Kings, and we know where that we know where that all takes us. And then Rob brings, uh, you know, rallies his army and becomes King of the North to move his army down. It's it, all of the events that happen on the show essentially happen because of Eddard Stark's death. Now, not only that. It works for us as an audience watching the show because when we're watching the show way back in season one, and I, it's kind of r- difficult to remember. I think for for all those of us who've been watching it this whole time or for, for years and years, back when Game of Thrones first came on, it was groundbreaking because they killed Eddard. The way the show was structured, it was very, it was more tradi- it was very well done. But it was more traditional, like oh, we're gonna follow this. this it's a fish out of water story. Our hero, our northern hero, is gonna go down to the world of politics and have to figure it out, and he's gonna get you know gobbled up by it. But eventually, because of how TV works at the time. He'll come out of it okay, because that's what heroes mm-hmm. do. He's our main character. He is the anchor of the show, so we know he's going to make it out okay. So, up until the moment that it's cl- up until episode ten, where they hold his head up to show you he is dead, you're like, okay, he got out of that somehow. Arya came up in there and saved him, or something big happened. And what that did was that really set the tone for the show. This show has mm-hmm. no safe zones. It's not it, people will die. People you love will die. People who are your main characters, who you have been supporting this whole time will die but like the real world the story will go on with or without them i think that's a really interesting pick because uh it to me his death has less of an impact on the world as a whole um the the world of westeros um than it does on the audience i think ned is probably the single most impactful death on the audience and setting the tone and expectations uh, for the audience about what the show is and where it's going to go and the trip that it's going to take us on through the next eight seasons. Um, It's a really good one. And it's funny because I actually had him on my, as my candidates for silliest death, just because Ah. he died because he was stupid. Yes. Um, Let's articulate. Isn't it funny how our main character was actually a really dumb guy? He was honorable. That's why he liked him. And he was Sean Bean, and he was a family man, so we cared about him. But go back and watch season one and, like, watch all the red flags laid out by multiple characters. It's actually really frustrating watching it back. Because, like, everybody, even people, like, Baelish even warns him specifically. Baelish warns him. Renly warns him. Cersei warns him. They're all like, really, dude, you don't want to go down this path. You really want to? I'm telling you, you, listen, if you're going to take my advice, here's, here's, like, a million ways you could get out of dying. I, I, I mean, and all of them were feasible and smarter, but he was, he was holding on so tightly to his honor that he wasn't willing to bend and fold. And what's really tragic about all of that is in the end, his final words, he lies and forfeits his honor because he believes it's going to save the, his life and the lives of his daughters. But then, the mad, and then of course, Joffrey, being the madman that he is, kills him anyway. So he didn't even get to die with his honor that he was trying so hard to protect that entire time. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention as well. The the two, there's two things I can remember. Where he kind of like sacrifices his honor, and the first one's not even really that big a deal. Is if you remember, he's sitting by Robert's 
deathbed and he's like writing down stuff and he writes down the true heir he doesn't write down joffrey specifically and that was like his one political attempt move is to like change the wording so maybe he can get in and like it totally doesn't matter at all and then like as you said he totally gives all of that up and it doesn't matter anyway it's very tragic you remember that back in season one where like before he died and we realized how complex this show was we're like oh ned that's a good one that's a good you leaving it open for ambiguity so he you got can him. take advantage oh that's a good one. Oh, oh whoops uh, now daniel what would what, what's going to be your next pick um, for for my next pick, I'm going to take us a little bit farther down uh, the storyline. We've been focusing mostly sort of towards the beginning, but one for me that really sticks out is uh, in a lot of different ways actually is uh, Oberyn Martell. Um, obviously, one of the most memorable deaths in the way that this was a character that everyone immediately loved, and then he just dies in the most brutal and uh, it's just I get goosebumps still thinking about their death, his death. With uh, when his fight when he fights the mountain, I mean, it's just one of the probably one of the top moments uh, on Game of Thrones. Uh, just the how much is I, I mean Tyrion's whole like life is reliant on that one fight, um, and Oberyn's death basically changes Tyrion's everything for Tyrion. Not he's now since he's executed to death he now has to find a way to escape he ends up killing shay and tywin because of it and ends up going over to join danny that none of that would happen if Oberyn wins that fight Tyrion, you know ends up becoming a murderer and joining danny and that already has had major impacts on the world so uh, for me Oberyn martell definitely sticks out sticks out for me that's a good point stall i i, I was pretty skeptical of this pick as you were first explaining it but when i can when you mentioned its impact on Tyrion in his life I, I'm I'm on board with this I think it is uh, impactful I was looking at it from the lens of Dorne and like how it affected Dorne and how Dorne has affected the storyline which is truthfully not that much yeah um, it does do that but not much <laughs> listen I mean and in, in, in a world where we're reading the novels Dorne is actually way cooler and more important but in the context of the show <laughs> in the context of the show it's not very good uh, so it does not impact the show very much now I, I will say this right. the reason uh, Ober Martell though I I think Daniel, he does work. I, your guys are both right. He works on both levels, and that's why that whole scenario is so pivotal. Uh, because Oberyn is doing this as a favor to Tyrion out of vengeance because what he really wants to do is get vengeance for the loss of his sister's life and you're invested in him because obviously you want this guy who's really charismatic and he's charming but he's also like there with the chip on his shoulder you want him to get his comeuppance because the people he's going to come up against are people we already hate so on top Mm -hmm. so you've got the you've got that whole vengeance angle that you're really invested in but then you also and we also know the uh, the mountain by that point and I can't remember how well the show had done it up to that point, but the books made it very clear. This dude is a rapist monster. He's a bad, bad mofo. So in, in, we take it into the next level with Tyrion, though. It, it complicates things even more because Tyrion, who we know is innocent, we know he's innocent, but his freedom hinges on that fight. And again, like traditional TV, like, all right, this is it. And, and I remember even going back to the first season of this podcast when Austin was totally drinking the Oberyn Kool-Aid and it was so great and s- delicious to watch and sad. Guys, look. It was so it, sad. It this, was sad. This, oh, man. It's, he has been and probably all wills be, always will be my favorite character in the show. And it's been a, a, an Oberyn-shaped hole in my heart up until this season when they introduced Euron being pretty much Greyjoy Oberyn, which, you know, 
I, that's like the best thing ever. Not nearly as cool, uh, but um, I will say I, the thing I like about it is uh, here's the thing about him and the, why I think he impacts the world. So he impacts our characters, right? Like you guys are both saying, both levels. Here's why his victory would have meant a lot, though. He's a guy who came in from the outside and was not afraid to call out the corruption in King's Landing and was willing to do and was willing to do something about it. And he also had a huge political backing. So had he beaten the mountain. I mean, because his whole thing was he was trying to Im- implicate Tywin Lannister in the raping and the killing. So had he won, like, that's the thing. He's the, he is the greatest what-if story in Game of Thrones. Like, what if he had succeeded? There was so much potential left for that character to live out and so many things he could have done. But because George R. R. Martin's a monster, we lost him in a brutal, brutal, brutal fashion uh, that still rattles around the back of my brain sometimes. It was so shocking. So, Daniel, I think that's a great pick. Uh, Austin, how about your next pick? You know, it, it really kind of follows along the the same lines here. Um, and, and coming at it from a little, uh, maybe a little bit down the road. And then my next pick is Tywin. Uh, Tywin Lannister, one of the most major deaths, I think, on the show. Um, as far as, like, impact to the audience. And, and it was a character that we, you know had become very acquainted with um head of house lannister and he was killed by Tyrion uh for sleeping with uh Tyrion's lover shay um this death uh one was kind of hilarious in a way because the man dies on a toilet so i mean that's it's beautiful and he's also like not he's not just any guy he's like one of if not the most powerful man in the country mm-hmm dies with his pants down on the toilet yeah and so what what his death really does and how it impacts the world is it removes the reins from cersei from this point on while cersei is not necessarily in power um we have Tommen sitting on the throne and cersei's just pulling the strings the entire time and even when things turn on her because she doesn't have tywin there to keep her in check and protect her in some ways really uh she does monstrous things such as blowing up half the city well that was all her fault in the first place because remember she was the one who brought in the religious zealots Mm -hmm. in the first place she brought them in so she could try to undermine marjorie and it backfired a move that never would have happened under tywin's watch Tywin holds House Lannister together and by extension all of Westeros because really they're running things at the points. And on top of this, this event causes Tyrion to go into exile, flee to Essos, where he meets Danny and becomes her advisor and really kind of is responsible for bringing her to Westeros. Yeah, which obviously has huge implications on our current season. Um, and, and we're starting to see a lot of that payoff in season seven. Uh, what did that mean for him go, to go over to Essos? What does that mean for the future? Uh, and I will say, as a side note, that's been kind of the really cool thing about this season. Is I, I, I mean, I, I, we've had some you know gripes here and there, especially with with East Watch, but. Um, like the cool thing about the season is it feels like it feels like we're watching the story that they wanted to tell us all along but we but the benefit is we have all this backstory all these like years worth of backstory that makes those moments infinitely more impactful like the fact that when we see you know uh Jamie and Tyrion confront each other and 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 Tyrion trying to outsmart his sister and all that stuff like it just means more because we know that all that backstory so um yeah i, I think that's a great great pick and obviously it's it's held huge fruits in the in the current season 
Uh, Daniel, how about you? What, what's your next pick? Well, as Austin was kind of talking about uh, the impact that Tywin has on Cersei, I will say that Tywin was someone I definitely considered. Um, but the person I ended up choosing instead uh, for kind of the same idea of the impact that it has on Cersei is, is Tommen. And the reason I chose him is because you know, Cersei is all about her children. Her sole purpose in life is that she loves them and she wants to do whatever she can to put them in the best and positions that she possibly can. And uh, when he, uh, for also one of the most jarring deaths for me, you know, the way that he views, you know, sees the sept blown up and then just falls like that. Just even to this day, it's just jarring to even think about. Um, so when he uh, does that, Cersei no longer has that humanity anymore uh you know the way the thing that we were you know she's we were thinking as the show was going on you know she's evil she has all these crazy plans but it makes sense because it's all for her children now he that's gone and she has almost no humanity at this point as we've seen throughout this uh, few episodes already this season and i think that for her she just becomes you know a different person because of that. And she it puts her firmly in on the throne. Uh, even though she was kind of pulling the strings before now she's 100% there, you know, and as we saw in even the recent episode, she's thinking about revealing, you know, she doesn't care that she's with Jamie anymore. Like her, her you know, the, the intellectual scheming Cersei is not the same person anymore after the, after, after he dies. I... They're like, they're like they're like Cersei's they're like Cersei's horcruxes. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, her yeah. children and her family. Ooh. So Ooh. so if as long once she finally killed Jamie, then you can finally get to the to the main the main root of the issue. Um, although I don't really think Jamie humanizes her very well at all. I, we've talked about that at length this season uh, on a podcast that I don't. Jamie's she kind of abuses him pretty pretty intensely on a pretty regular basis. So um, I don't think. He's got kind of that same emotional safeguard uh, as, say, Tywin or her children. Uh, now, they, still with that pick, um, I actually am going to go look at her, her the, the death of her first child, Joffrey Baratheon. So we all hated Joffrey. Remember, remember back in the early seasons when we hated that guy. He, that he was the guy we hated more than anyone else. Before we had Ramsay, before we had Euron, uh, before we had. I mean, he was like, okay, these guys are all pretty bad, but we've got Joffrey who's just plain evil, right? And his death is very impactful, though, because here's the thing about Joffrey is he's a wild. He was a wild card at all times. Like they could Tommen, Cersei and Tywin, they could control him. They could not fully control Joffrey. Now, of course, there were moments like the, the scene where Tywin sends basically sends Joffrey to bed that those moments do exist. But still, the beheading of Ned Stark was a wild card. That was not part of the Lannister plan. They were gonna, they were going to send uh, Ned up north as long as uh, Rob bent the knee. They were gonna send him up to the Night's Watch. So that was never part of the plan. And Joffrey just did a lot of really unpredictable things for fun, and it was pretty terrible. And, it, and honestly, it was. It did get to a point where you're like, oh my god, this is just getting to be too much to watch. Until we finally see him go, and I like that he went because it kind of. Again, as a viewer, kind of reinforces this world that hey, like it's not just that the bad guys always wins; it's that the smart people win. And Joffrey was a he was dangerous to everyone. He was he was a wild card that you know, say for instance, Baelish or Tywin couldn't predict. And certainly, you know, Elena Tyrell did not want her daughter married to him uh, or her granddaughter married to him. Like it was just it was too many too many variables there that, that they didn't know how to control. So when he goes, that's when we get Tommen, which firmly puts. Tywin Lannister essentially puts Tywin Lannister on the throne. Cersei to some degree, I guess in season five and season six that, that would leave her on the throne. But what you're really looking at is 
in our in our hub world of King's Landing, a st- when he dies, there's a certain stability that takes hold until Tywin dies later in the season. So it doesn't last very long at all, actually. Um, but I do think it like the death of Joffrey was really really pivotal, uh, and of course uh, that that was another moment where we showcased exactly what Elena was going to do, and also to what degree Baelish, uh, his his level of scheming and long term planning would would could could amount to. So I think it's a that's a really really big one. All right, so this will take us to our final round of picks. Uh, and these haven't been in any particular order, so I don't think this is necessarily like the number one per se. But uh, let's take a look. Uh, Austin, what is your final pick for most impactful death on Game of Thrones? Yeah, so again, not necessarily my number one pick, but kind of how the flow of the conversation's gone. My last pick is Lysa Aaron. Um, Lysa Aaron was wife to John Aaron. She ends up marrying Littlefinger, but she witnesses Littlefinger kiss Sansa, loses her crap, freaks out, tries to kill Sansa because she she blames her for it. Um, and eventually Littlefinger talks to her and pushes her out the moon door. Um, it is... Uh, a kind of a, a graphic kind of startling death um, but we did kind of see it coming a little bit but what this does to the world is it, is it gives Littlefinger essentially full control over a, a very large army there from the Eyrie um, because Robin Aaron is firmly under Littlefinger's thumb and with that army Littlefinger is able to influence the world and eventually recapture Winterfell and restoring uh, the Stark's ancestral home to the family. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. We, I think it'd be also important to mention that Lysa Aaron was also respo- directly responsible for the poisoning of John Aaron because of what Baelish told her to do. Baelish told her to poison him because again, uh, Baelish is again creating chaos so he can climb the ladder, so to speak. Uh, that's a great point, Austin. And, and Baelish, of course, has played and of course, uh, regular listeners uh, know what I love to talk about Baelish, but Lysa Aaron was a key pawn in his game to game power. He needed what he had to do was he had to move into King's Landing, become the master of coin, eventually winning the House of Harrenhal so that he had a title, the House uh, Baelish of Harrenhal, so that he could marry. Lysa Aaron, because you have to have titles to breed titles is kind of the thing. You have to have a, an official title and a, a, a home so that you can marry someone else. So once he had that, he was able to marry Lysa Aaron, gain control of her armies, and now, like Austin says, he's a bona fide player with an army uh, in the Game of Thrones, which uh, he's a, certainly a character that's kind of climbed the ranks, and she being a very pivotal character in that game. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you, Austin. Just want to say real quick that I, I that was also a someone I I considered as well. And as you say, it kind of unleashes Littlefinger a little bit, and unleashing in the like nobody knows about it kind of way. Like nobody knows it. Like li- like you kind of find out as the audience too. Like Littlefinger's been behind so many things that we didn't really know about. Um, so yeah, I definitely think her death is extremely important, especially to his character. Yeah, and I think um, and we talked about this at length when season four was on, but it's interesting seeing the book reader reaction versus the show watcher reaction to that reveal. Cause when I was reading the book, that was like a drop the mic, like, and it was the very end of the third book. It was like a drop the mic, like, holy shit, what a twist. Like Baelish has been scheming big time. Like we, you, you found out he was behind Joffrey's poisoning. You're like, Whoa, holy shit, dude. Applause, clap. It was really cool. Like when you're reading it and then you find out the very, like the last chapter of the book after 
Tywin's dead, Oberyn's dead, all this stuff has happened, and you find out that detail that actually he was the one who was behind John Aaron's poison, and you're like, holy shit, this guy's been playing the long game the whole time. Um, it's a little different on the show because I think, I don't know if it's the way we consume TV or digest that information, but it seemed like everyone was like, oh, of course he would do that. It just was a very different reaction. But obviously, critical, I think you're right, though, because still for us, that is the moment where we, 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 we do realize how big a game he's playing. That's a great pick. Daniel, how about your, what's your final pick? So with my last one, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit. I, I am gambling a little bit with this pick. Um, but I'm going to go with a three-eyed raven. Obviously, directly impacts uh, Bran. I mean, Bran's almost a different character now. No longer is he Bran Stark of Winterfell. He is the three-eyed raven, has taken on that role, and now has, what, as far as we can tell, numer- like tons of knowledge that n- nobody knows about and has been able to see things that uh, pretty much everything and know all these characters' lives and personal stories and how things are going to play out. I mean, Bran has become this very, very powerful person because of uh, the Three-Eyed Raven's death. So while we haven't got to see the full impact of his death yet and what Bran will do now that he is the Three-Eyed Raven, I think that that death is going to be hugely impactful, even moving into the last season. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think it, it is gamble there, right? So we, we don't know what's going to end up happening, but there is the potential there for Bran to have an enormous impact on the story through the knowledge that he has. Um, it's, it's because of Bran right now, actually, that the entire Eastwatch storyline even exists. Um, he saw the the army of the dead coming, and uh, as a result, John and his band of merry men went up there to uh, try to capture this White Walker. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'll say it's a gamble because I'm not sold yet. We, the show hasn't done a great job, and I know that they're sitting on this information for a reason, but it's very frustrating on exactly what the limits and rules of the power of the Three-Eyed Raven are. So it's it, like we know he can warg into stuff. That's really cool. Uh, we know he sees visions of the past, present, and maybe the future. We're not really sure. Like It's so unclear to me. I don't. I'm not comfortable saying that's impactful yet or not. I mean, I'm sure we're led to think that it is. But we haven't seen any resulting action yet to prove that case. I think the I think a gamble is definitely the right way to put it. Like we don't know yet, but there's definitely the potential there. Yeah, you're right, Caleb. You know, I feel like it's going to be hugely impactful that the brand has this. Um, so as I said, it is sort of a gamble, but I really feel like it's. You know, the show has led us to, like you said, to believe that this is going to be something that's very important, um, and somehow he's going to have some crucial information that will help you know, save Westeros. And unfortunately it gave us the, maybe the most, the saddest I've ever been in the show when Hodor dies too, because of the three eyed Raven. I mean, that direct, uh, when he dies, that immediately happens in that same moment. So, um, there's that too. My last pick is going to be Mag King Ares. Now, Mag King Ares is a character we've only seen via Bran's Three-Eyed Raven visions. And I was really glad when we got this on the show. Uh, because the, seeing Jamie actually stab him in the back was pretty cool. I mean, I know it was like quick flashes and everything, but it was I get I get chills every time I watch that scene where he's he's saying burn the ball, burn the ball, and then you see you know Jamie's like silhouette coming behind him and stab in the back. Like that's that is that that that's a big moment for Jamie's character. That's a huge moment for Westeros because that's when the Baratheon essentially when the Baratheons took over Westeros versus uh, breaking the Targaryen line. Um, that's also. Again, which also puts in the momentum that the the 
events that will have all the Targaryens getting executed, including Rhaegar Targaryen uh, and uh, all of Danny's siblings. So it's a hugely important death. I mean, I mean, if we hadn't had Robert's rebel, if, if if we hadn't had the death of Mad King Aerys, Robert's not on the throne, and then of course the sh- the, the show is just not in the same world uh, that we're we're used to. So I, I found. His death to be really cool, even though we haven't seen it fully play out. We just got glimpses of it. I really, really, really do hope before the show's over, they utilize... That's the thing with Bran. There's so much potential to utilize his visions to do lots of interesting, cool things. I would love for him to flesh out that whole that whole scene a little bit more. Um, it would, would be something I'd love, love to take a look at. But uh, as of now, I would argue that he is probably... Yeah, I mean, he's got to be top five most impactful deaths because we wouldn't have Lana. We had R plus L equals J. We wouldn't have Robert... Uh, on the throne to get overthrown by the Lannisters. Like, there's just a lot of key moving pieces that wouldn't have happened had he not been killed yeah. by Jamie. So the, the war, the war of the kings. Obviously, um, if there is a king, and then Bad King Eris never dies, we don't have that war. Um, the only thing that I think would <laughs> we wouldn't have a show really. The only thing that would really happen is the White Walkers would come. And you'd have the Targaryens fighting them. I think that's pretty much it. Targaryens on dragons versus just the White Walkers is not very interesting. I mean, that's just it's though. Would would we have dragons? They were all dead by that point, right? Already all dead. That's true. We we probably wouldn't have dragons. Yeah, that's so a really good point. So we wouldn't of, even have dragons. So Targaryens v White Walkers, and that's just not nearly as interesting for sure. So what we're saying is, Jamie killing the Mad King gives us dragons, which gives us the victory over the White. So Jamie is solely responsible for defeating the White Walkers. You know, I'm not going to disagree with that. Jamie just <laughs> Jamie doesn't get the credit he deserves for that because he did it to save the city. He did it because he did it because he was trying to keep wildfire from being ignited within the city. Oh wait, seriously, does it later anyway? But, all right, so those are our collectively and again in no particular order our top five picks uh for favorite for most impactful game of thrones deaths uh we'll do kind of wrap up quickly i do want to throw a couple of honorable mention categories out there so firstly gentlemen i want to talk about what is the most impactful death on you individually now we want to keep this separate this will not be one a name that's already been mentioned so anyone that's not been mentioned is off the table but if you had to pick like the death that impacted you the most individually as a viewer and you're an impacted your Game of Thrones watching experience, who would you pick? Daniel Stoll, we'll start with you. Well, for me, there's definitely a lot of moments that have uh, had a huge impact on me. I know you guys are going to talk about a couple of those that I agree with you have impacted me as well. But for one, I think you you can't be talking about death in Game of Thrones without talking about Rob Stark. I, we get, I mean, it has its own phrase where we refer to it as the Red Wedding. This is, as you guys mentioned with Ned, sets the tone for no one is safe. And then this sets the Rob Stark in the Red Wedding basically as a whole sets the tone for this is the first time we see a mass killing of an entire house, like a genocide that's not in like a battle type scenario like uh the Battle of Blackwater, where tons of people die there, but that is a battle. It's a little bit different. Whereas, you know, with the Red Wedding, the North, well, the Starks virtually are, are wiped off the map for a very long time. Now, we're starting to see some Starks come back together at, at, in this season, but that just changes the outlook of the the entire world changes because of that uh, scenario. Uh, you get so many things happening because that took place. Um, so I think you just have to mention that. At this time, this is the entire Stark 
faction, and they're just wiped out. Uh, in cold blood, like in the in a place they are supposed to be safe at, they did their whole. They had their bread and salt in the house, which is supposed to ensure protection and all that stuff. Like so, the phrase broke a lot of rules and killed them in cold blood. And and like you said, it's impactful because it removed the entire Stark team from the from the game, which at the time was huge. Right, so it's definitely one of the more memorable events on the entire show, and we'll even with this all over, we'll definitely remember the Red Wedding. We'll never forget about that. So, Austin, how about you? What would you say is the most personally impactful death on you? I pick so there's a lot that we could pick from here, um, but I, I picked one probably that people don't think of all the time, and that's uh, Shay. We get this this sequence where uh, Tyrion is breaking out. He's leaving um, to, to, to go away. And he's basically going to go say, uh, go to go kill Tywin is what he's planning on doing. We find Shay in Tywin's room um, at this point in his bed. Yeah. At this point, um, he strangles Shay to death with the chains that are around his, uh, his wrists. Um, it was a gruesome sad scene because Shay is a is a character that we got to know pretty well she was annoying at times but generally well liked and it was a character that that uh Tyrion really loved um it was a connection kind of that that made him not the drunken um party boy that he once was kind of made him uh a normal person finally um and to see him kill her was uh pretty impactful i think to me personally i think that one's a really interesting one because i, I was never a big fan of shay myself but uh i mean obviously Tyrion liked her a lot he meant a lot to her uh she meant a lot to him and it was sad to see Tyrion just be so utterly betrayed because you have to contextualize this they, we spent three seasons with their following the relationship and T- Tyrion in order to protect her tried to send her away and then eventually she comes back and testifies against him uh, and the court makes up a, a bunch of lies uh, and actually the worst and the worst part about it is she takes a lot of the truths that they that, that we had seen as viewers and twisted them to make him look bad uh, and evil so it was heartbra- that was a heartbreaking betrayal, and then we find out it's a, it's, it's a double whammy because Tywin has spent all this time on the show talking about how much he hates horses and finds them detestable and shames Tyrion his whole life for it. And yet, Tyrion finds the woman he loved in bed with his dad after she'd already backstabbed him. I mean, it was it was a real moment of personal tragedy for Tyrion and also really one of the only times we've ever seen Tyrion just react because he's so usually thoughtful and deliberate and intentional with his decisions but he was so emotionally broken at that moment that he gave uh, Shay the uh, strangling so good pick Austin so uh, Stoll mentioned it earlier but my pick is actually going to be hold the door hold the door uh, Hodor uh, if you don't nope, get too soon, if you don't if you don't get tears every time you think every time you hear the term "hold the door," uh, you're a monster. <laughs> no, uh, this one was really tough because I it was a this is totally original. So for me, this was one of the first major deaths that I didn't hadn't didn't expect because I hadn't read it in the book yet because it hasn't happened in the in the, in the novels. Um, so when I was watching it, I 
it was very visceral because of how well executed the whole sequence was. They were running away from the White Walkers. Bran was trying to warg into him. And at the same time that he dies, uh, he, he sacrifices himself to hold the door closed for Bran as they get away. We also see that Bran uninten- unintentionally warged into young Hodor, which caused him to have a seizure, which caused him to you know, become Hodor. Like, who just... That's all he could say. Uh, which really adds a layer of tragedy onto that character, because in, in, in a way, he's trapped. Because of Bran, he is trapped in the cycle where he will inevitably live and die for Bran. Uh, so very tragic on that level, and just also a very visceral death. He's getting torn to pieces by whites. Uh, and, you know, he's a real softy, and we've loved to have him around. So it, it, uh, it, it hurt, but I think it was a really, really impactful death, and that's definitely the one that still mm-hmm. gives me the feels more. I mean, I get angry about Oberyn's death, but I get, like, sad about Hodor's death. It, it, it was a... That, yeah, that whole sequence, it was a mind-blowing death. I don't think I've ever quite seen anything like that, where we have essentially, like, time travel effects going on there. And... and you know, being with that character for so many seasons and then to finally understand why he is Hodor and that he wasn't always that way. Um, and and the fact that the reason he is that is because it happens in the future. It is The whole thing was mind-blowing and, and very tragic and sad. One of the saddest moments, for sure, in the show. Uh, out of all the deaths that have happened, that's the one that like really just hits you right in the heart. Um, so yeah, definitely very memorable. And it also it also gave everyone in my office at work an excuse to start pulling out, start drawing diagrams using straws and all that good stuff again to try to figure out how the time travel works. But I digress. All right, so let's move on to. Deaths that are less than impactful. In fact, they're kind of silly and kind of stupid. And we'll keep this one brief. We'll just pick one each. But uh, there's been a lot of deaths on Game of Thrones that you're like, wait, did they just kill that character? Wait, why would that character do that? That, le- that leads to their death. That seems, that seems stupid. Or, man, that was really pointless. I don't know why that character died in that moment. It didn't really have yield any sort of impact on the story at all. Uh, so we'll start with you, Mr. Us in the car. What would you consider like the dumbest or silliest death you've seen on the show? The way I interpreted this basically is a, is a death that should have never happened. It, it was impactful. In fact, it made uh, Stoll's list of most impactful deaths, and that's Oberyn Martell. But this is one that, like, the man won the fight. It was over. He won it. But because he was grandstanding and acting stupid, uh, he ended up dying. And for that, I nominated him as my silliest death. Who gave you the order? Who gave you the order? Come on. I, I try, I've tried to bleach that entire scene out of my memory, but it, it can't. It doesn't work. Even just thinking about it, it's just like, oh, stop thinking about it. Oh, my gosh, it's no, so bad. I, I mean, it is silly, but like I understand his his personal vendetta blinded him in that moment from what he should have done. But it's, it's still an emotionally powerful death because, I mean, we already talked about it. But one last thing I will say about that death is I want to believe in Oberyn Martell so much that every time I rewatch that fight scene, I go in thinking, this time he's going to make it. This time he's going to get him. And then every time. You know, he gets his brain scratched. But uh, definitely not smart on Oberyn's part. Daniel, what would you consider the dumbest or silliest death on Game of Thrones? For me, I took a little bit of a different approach. And I don't know if even everyone will remember this character, but I chose Ross. Uh, if you guys remember all, all the way back in season one, two, and uh, three, she starts in the north uh, as uh, basically just a, a whore. And... Um, maneuvers her way down into uh, Littlefinger's brothel and becomes sort of an important 
person to Littlefinger, like sort of takes charge when he's not there. Um, if you guys remember, uh, the way that she ends up dying is uh, – she is basically just killed, uh, given to Joffrey by Littlefinger, and he just you know shoots her down with a crossbow just for fun. Um, and I, as you kind of mentioned, it was kind of a silly plotline to begin with, and then just the way that they just killed her off, uh, the way that Joffrey did it was kind of a, I don't know, it seemed really pointless to me. So for me, that was like silly, like this character really wasn't doing much anyway and then you just kill her for no apparent reason because it gives us no information on Joffrey. we already know he's a terrible person uh so for that reason i i it was a very silly death i mean i i i was not a big fan of this subplot so sometimes man it's hit or miss with these guys when they when there are original storylines in the show some of them are fantastic in fact some of i, I would argue a lot of the baelish vera stuff is a plus material like the the chaos is the latter speech is great uh they're back and forth and one-upsmanship fantastic but i'll also say like the use of ross as a pawn in their game always seemed kind of weird and i didn't really care about it so much it it was silly because it felt like they're like oh well we need to kill someone of, of importance to showcase how evil baelish is i guess um i don't know wasn't hugely invested myself but uh, i think it's an interesting pixel uh good good find so I had a tough one. I had, I had a tough pick, and I'll I'll name drop two, but I'm gonna go, tell you which one matters. One, I thought about how Stannis Baratheon died off screen and was never confirmed dead, and that how a poor decision that was, and how stupid that was. But I decided actually to go to Sir Brendan the Blackfish Tully, who died last season off screen at the hands of Lannister soldiers. Now, why is this silly and dumb? One, because in the source material, he gets away. Because he's smart and a pragmatist, and he's a badass. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to do this whole compare and contrast, but uh, Brendan the Blackfish Tully, this is uh, uh, Edmure Tully's uncle, Catelyn's sister's brother, who was like this legendary fighter from back in Robert's Rebellion. He had done a lot of amazing things. And even when they introduced him on the show, Edmure Tully was trying to like shoot this arrow into the boat of their father uh, at his funeral and he kept missing so Brennan Blackfish fires the arrow puts it down walks away doesn't even look and it catches the boat on fire like for the funeral ceremony to demonstrate oh this guy means business and they, they let he got let go during the Red Wedding uh, he got away by going to take a piss or something like dumb like that before there was the big battle and he got away there which I was super excited I was like okay cool this means they're going to keep him around he's going to have an important role to play later in the show Really, all that amounted to is him holding up until Jamie got there, and then he just died in a really anticlimactic fashion for no reason. He's like, I'm going to die here because this is my home. Even though uh, both Brienne and Podrick, they all are like, hey, no, Sansa needs you. She's your family. He's like, no, I'm going to die here just because uh, I got to go down fighting, I guess. It just it seemed like an inconsistent character trait uh, and a waste of a really, really rich character, and it makes... I honestly, it doesn't care. I guess plot, the only way it makes plot sense wise is because they just wanted to wrap, take that 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 plot uh, and mm-hmm. that character off the board. But from a character perspective, it doesn't. It makes zero sense at all, and it was really frustrating. It, I, don't I don't necessarily disagree with you, with you. and we, we talked, talked about this when it happened. happened. But uh, I think this was one of the deaths where me having not ever read the books, I didn't care. It didn't, it didn't affect me one way or the other that this guy died. It was completely and utterly meaningless, whether he was alive or dead, whether he made another appearance, whether he didn't. It didn't matter. 
Um, I think this is one that book readers um, felt a little cheated by. And I can understand why based on what I've heard. Um, but I, I, I wonder if that's where some of your uh, uh, my anger towards this one. Yeah, my, my yeah. bias is showing. And I'll agree. And I, and I, 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 I want to reiterate, I hate people who are like, oh, the books are better, yada, yada. I really don't like that mentality. I, I think the show works on its own right. And I think most of the time the show is great. And even when it's doing something differently, I think it's doing it well. This is one of those circumstances where I was like, man, this – fundamentally misses that character so i think the ad, they adapted that character poorly and that's disappointing because mm-hmm. uh, he is a fan favorite and so i'm not going to say oh the book's better than the show but it's one of those like man i just feel like we've really missed the mark with the potential this character had it's like if they missed Oberyn martell or something like that you know which again Oberyn, a character they hit a home run with like they did they gave him more to do than he has in them in the source material and hit it out of the park not so much with the blackfish but uh, that'll be my pick for dumbest or silliest death just because it didn't make any sense well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to our special Bald Move uh, Pod Pack special fun ra- uh, episode. And uh, thank you so much again for contributing so that you can get, have access to this episode. Uh, again, all of the uh, the funds raised in this episode will go towards the ACLU. So we thank you so much for contributing. Uh, this is a really, really great fundraiser that I think will help a lot of people who have uh, a, lo- a great interest in Game of Thrones. So once again, we want to say thank you for that. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to Star Talk, uh, you can always, of course, find us on on uh, iTunes or Stitcher Radio, Google Play, any of your podcast apps. And this, I just want to reiterate that this is not our normal show. Our show is normally doing a scene-by-scene recap and review. And because we love you guys so much, uh, we, we created a special formatted episode uh, for this very special fundraiser. But if you want to hear what our sh- more like what our e- normal episode sounds like, head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, any of those, and give us a uh, subscribe to us, give us a listen. Uh, and if you really like the show, give us a like. Ray, give us a review. Sorry. Um, uh, and of course, you can also find us uh, on our social media channels on, on Twitter at cast underscore beyond underscore GOT or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cast beyond the wall. Uh, we'll be updating. Uh, the, we're at the end of the Game of Thrones season now, but I promise you there will be a lot of Game of Thrones content popping up here and there throughout the in between seasons as we move into that final final season eight that we're so excited to get to uh now gentlemen where can people find maybe we should let the listeners know where else they can find us online uh austin where can people find you on the internet if you'd like to hear my thoughts on uh, many different things uh you can find me on twitter at ac lucari that's uh, a-c-l-u-c-a-r-i on twitter uh, you can find me at Daniel Stull, uh, D-A-N-I-E-L-S-T-U-L-L, then the numbers two, three. Um, come tell me why all my picks were the right picks. Uh, man, I challenge you, listener. Go, go pop his ego bubble. Go tell him why his picks are wrong. We have some conversation here. <laughs> Don't strike that ego. Um, so you can also find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, I tweet quite a bit about... So I, I, I am a podcaster, I am a film critic, and I'm a gamer. Those are my three things. So if you like any of those things, you can head on over to Twitter and follow me at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. If you want to hear any of my opinions about Game of Thrones, about uh, the latest movie, uh, or about video games, you will hear me tweet about those things all week long, all day long. I love doing it. If you have any questions or you want to talk more about my picks, hit me up there. Uh, you can also find me, uh, my entire online portfolio at calebmasters.net uh, or on a website I recently just launched called thecinematropolis.com. It is your home for thoughtful conversations on film. 
Uh, we have a lot of film essays. Check it out there. That's the cinematropolis.com. Uh, thank you. Uh, and if you want to continue to donate to this uh, to this fundraiser, you can of course follow the link uh, below. And we would love to. Ha- you know, we really appreciate your continued contribution. Uh, so again, if you liked hearing me, Daniel and Austin, just hang out and talk about Game of Thrones. Head on over to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, like uh, and find us on there and subscribe. We would love to have you be a part of our Game of Thrones weekly Game of Thrones conversation. So thank you so much for tuning into the special Bald Move Pod Pack fundraiser of Game of Thrones, uh, the most impactful deaths in the series. We can't wait to until you join us again next time as we continue to go beyond the wall.